0: Welcome to Pathfinder Academy. Class is now in session. Here are your professors, Caleb and Christian.
1: Good morning, class. You may be seated. I'm glad you stayed for extra credit to learn a little bit more about some
0: combat. Now, when we were speaking about combat in our previous class, we had mentioned mounted combat and underwater combat, and these are things we would cover later if you're interested. They're very unique niche situations, well, depending if you're a Cavalier or not, mm-hmm. but we thought we'd go over them now because it's not needed to start playing a game. Right.
1: You know, some of you who have listened since our skills episode has been waiting ever since we went over Ride and Swim, and they're like, when is it coming out? Well, here it is. <laughs> I know you've been you've been at the edge of your seats waiting. I can't wait to do
0: my underwater. <laughs> (laughs) underwater. Underwater combat campaign. (laughs) The edge of your saddle. (laughs) Oh, you. Let's start with mounted combat. And this is going to be mostly important if you are a cavalier, obviously. Or someone who plans on riding a mount most of the time. Or a
1: druid or a ranger. Because you can have uh, your familiar be a mount,
0: our summoner, our ranger, our hunter. Excuse me. Yep. So Sandy, you can ride any of those things that you want. There's actually a couple
1: that yeah. that could use this, but you're right, mainly. But if you're going to be Cavalier. using it specifically
0: in combat, because right.
1: if you're using it outside of combat, you don't it's, you don't really need this. No one cares. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, we
0: get it. You're on your horse, Timmy. <laughs>
1: all right, cool. Your, your wolf, that's extra large. Your dire wolf. <laughs> you're riding all
0: around town. I get it. I get it.
1: You're cool. Okay.
0: So combat is a little bit different when you're astride in a mount. You and your mount have your own separate actions, but you tend to take them at the same time. Uh, Now, first off, the reason we mentioned that, you know, if you're not specifically a combat-mounted person is why this doesn't matter. That's because you need a combat-trained mount to even start to use a mount in combat. Uh, If a mount isn't specifically combat trained, which is, you know, either the Cavalier gets it as their class ability or you have to specifically buy a combat trained mount, it's just going to whinny up and run away. And you have to try and control it. The first sound of of
1: battle, you're going to make ride checks all
0: freaking combat long. So Um, don't do it.
1: (laughs) Now, we we went over this to skills. You can train it with a handle animal. So if you want to go over to uh, our skills section, um, you can, so our skills episode, you can find out how to raise up a non- combat mount to mount combat but let's just assume we start out here with combat train mount
0: now to make things simple as i do with most animal companions and such your mount acts on your initiative they don't roll initiative and that's actually in the rules for mount specifically i extend that to all animal companions and elons because it's really annoying for one person to be split up mm. into two different turns but it just acts on your turn yeah that's cool now if you have a large size mount which you probably do medium creatures need at least a large size mount to ride your mount needs to be one size category greater than you um you share your mount space in combat what
1: do you mean i can't ride my my pet cat familiar there, maybe if you take a feat it's, it's adorable so-
0: let
1: <laughs> me <laughs> it's a little kitty cat about swarm can i ride a swarm just a swarm of kitty cats wait we did this before we've done this in an episode the chair a- the hunter yeah what was he,
0: what was he it was floating on a chair it was swarm of rats swarm of
1: rats that's <laughs> it oh we're talking from the future does it come out yeah we're talking from the future that's right our swarm of rats
0: we're precognizant of the episodes we're going to be releasing. That's yes, right. <laughs> you are considered to share your mount space, meaning although you yourself aren't a large-sized creature, anyone can hit you from any of the mount spaces in its large size. Right. It's not like you're in one of the four squares your mount occupies. You are considered to be in all of them. Right. You still don't have reach like a large creature, and you don't count as a large creature for really anything else. You just take up that space. Mm -hmm. So you can attack from any of those spaces, and you can get hit from any of those spaces. And so can your mount.
1: So it's either you—when something attacks you, they choose either you or your mount, or it's like a splash attack.
0: Mm -hmm. Now, in combat, you need your hands free typically to do things, so you need to steer your mount with your knees.
1: I gotta read this here. In combat, this is a quote from Christian. In combat, you need to steer your mount, but you also need your hands free to punch things. And just the mental image <laughs> of a monk on a mount, just fury of blowings, everything as he's going by. Gallop, 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 punch punch, 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 gallop, 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 gallop punch, punch, punch. I love it. It's the they, best. They lean down real low. <laughs> yeah. Oh, you know like that side saddle where you yeah.
0: like, <laughs> <laughs> now it's only a it's a free action. You make a DC five ride check. Oh wow, really hard. Uh. And Which means if you have five points in there, as long as you don't have any negatives, it's automatic. Right. Uh, four, you, really, because you're going to roll a one. <laughs> you um you guide the mount with your knees. Now, that's all that means. Mm-hmm. So just get at least four points in your ride check, and you never have to worry about this ever again. Right. Now, like I said, your turns are taken at the same time. Your mount can take its move in standard action during your turn turn. And these are completely separate from you. So your mount can move, and your mount can attack, and then you can take a move action. You can't really move yourself because you're on the back of a horse. This uh And then you can attack. This brings up a question
1: that actually I'm not quite sure what the answer is. Does that mean my mount can move, I attack, I take my standard, and then he takes his standard? Or do they have to be in groups? He takes his moving standard, then I take my move standard.
0: Uh, it doesn't really matter, as long as it wouldn't mess with the normal order of things. Like, I think your mount should have its own turn where it moves and then attacks, and then you attack. But if you say your mount moves and you attack then he attacks it doesn't really change anything as long as you're not disobeying things like moving then attacking and then moving again then i don't see any problem with that okay now, there is a little caveat with this mount, this ruling, because if you would think about that, you'd be like, oh my goodness, my mount could walk up to someone and then I can fall round action them. And that's not the case. If your mount moves more than five feet, you can't take a full round action.
1: Which is just like you. You can shift. If you're going to take a full round, it's kind of the same thing for, since you guys are kind of combined with your movement, he, need, he can only shift for you to take your full
0: round. Right. And it's because you have to wait for your mount to reach the target, so you wouldn't have time to do your little flurry of blows. Right now if your mount happens to charge you are also considered charging and you get all the benefits and drawbacks that come with charging. You can't say your mount charges and you don't. It's one or the other. Right.
1: If you're attacking something smaller than you, you get a plus one bonus on all attack rolls for having higher ground. And I think there's a feat that even increases that.
0: So this is, as long as you're fighting medium-sized creatures, usually on a large mount, you just get a free plus one. So that's just like something Cavaliers get right off the bat. So that's pretty nice. Now you can use ranged weapons on a mount, uh, but they suffer a bit only if your mount is moving very, very fast. For the most part, you could do it without penalty, but if your mount is moving fast, uh, you take penalties. If your mount takes a double move action you take a minus four on your range attack rolls and if you're Mount is running, taking the run action, which is quadruple its speed. You take a minus eight on range attack rolls. Ouch. Yeah, it's a lot. But, you know, if you're chasing after, like, your steampunk train and you (laughs) got (laughs) to
1: have your mount running around. See, now I want to run a one-shot where, like, we're we're bandits and we're trying to steal through a train (laughs) robbery. And we can do it with uh, the mechanical steed from the Sherry 4 the clockwork steed. Oh, goodness. You get to think about these things from the perspective of people in that time. If you were somebody who had invented steam punk clockwork in that time of the medieval era, what would your train be? It probably would be uh, a large constructed carriage pulled by a bunch of mechanical, mechanical horses. Oh, goodness. It wouldn't be like an engine. So, like, the front of it would be all those horses. Because you, you, like you couldn't
0: do anything You do conventionally or normally or easily. You'd have to specifically make animatronic horses to pull your steampunk train. Right, right. right. <laughs>
1: and, and Bob, why don't we just take what we did to make the And orbit? follow
0: the path of least resistance? What am I, Electric? <laughs> <laughs> this is steampunk but, there needs to be more cogs and gears
1: and little eyepieces but, but bob bob the, if we, why don't we just take what makes the horse go fast and make it bigger and just put one of them in front of the in front of our our, our train give me that trench coat you're not steampunk <laughs> anymore no how will i feed my wife and kids and it gets dark <laughs> <laughs> speaking of mounted combat <laughs> You can cast spells while mounted as combat. If your mount moves both before and after you're casting your spell, you have to make a concentration check for, quote-unquote, vigorous motion.
0: Which is on the concentration check table DC listing. Right.
1: Uh, If your mount is running, you must make a concentration check for violent motion. This is interesting. Now, why would this ever come up? I thought you usually have to take
0: your standard before or after uh, his movement movement. Well, since you guys are taking your turn at the same time, like your mount runs, mm-hmm. and then you cast a spell, you'd still considered running at the end, because it just took its action running, gotcha. so it's to represent, it's technically all happening at, happening at the same time.
1: So we want this part where if your mount moves both before and after you're casting a spell. So he moves halfway through, I cast my spell, then move again? Yes,
0: I think it specifically states you can do that.
1: Oh, okay, cool. All right, makes sense.
0: Now, if your mount falls, whether it is tripped or it's knocked unconscious or whatever it may be, you have to make a DC 15 ride check in order to land safely or you take 1d6 points of damage and you're knocked prone on the ground. Now, if you yourself are knocked unconscious while on the horse, you I have fall a, and get trampled. Yeah, I wish every time. Did <laughs> that fail? Every time, fifty percent of the time, <laughs> you have a fifty percent chance of just falling off the horse or staying on the saddle. If you happen to have an item called a military saddle, you have a seventy-five percent chance to stay on the horse. Otherwise, you fall and you just take one d six damage.
1: Not too bad, but uh, interesting.
0: And that's that's all there is to mounted combat. It's actually not that complicated.
1: Now, there's a, actually a bunch of feats you, you can uh, take for you can take for mounted combat. Just improve certain things. There's even like a there's teamwork feat, cavalry Formation, which lets you overlap. There's mounted...
0: The, well, combat. the most important one I want to mention is obviously mounted combat. It's usually a prerequisite for all of these feats. And all it says is that you need one rank of ride to take it. And whenever your mount is attacked, not you, but when your mount is attacked, you can make a ride check and substitute your mount's AC with that ride check result. So your mount may not have the greatest AC but you can move it around and keep it from getting hit in combat. You can only do this once a round though. So if your mount gets full round action, it you can only dodge one of those attacks potentially.
1: That's nice. So if you get attacked, I roll my I, I roll my ride check, then we treat that number as the AC. Then there's mounted archery, which reduces the penalties for using a uh, ranged weapon while your mount is moving. Uh,
0: so, if you just have to be playing on the world's biggest game mat and can be taking run <laughs> actions with your horse, then this is the perfect feat for you. <laughs> That's a and good you, point. you constantly find yourself shooting in the middle of your mount moving, then yes. You know, this, but where this can be, you know, making
1: a joke about that, but like the, we hear on the Trailblazer Network, we have uh, an entire campaign that's all run over voice chat. There is no Matt. Mm. So that kind of, where I think that, you know, limits you in a lot of things, it does expand that you can do things that you couldn't do on uh a small size mat, so that might come up in those situations. Uh, there's mounted shield where you can increase the AC of your horse with uh, your shield, he gets the bonuses from your shield,
0: which needs shield focus in order for you to take it because you know you're good with shields and your ha- uh, mount. Go to ride by attack. Now, this the next one is rather important because it's part of a chain of feats that nearly every cavalier takes. It's something that I don't like about mounted combat. This is called ride by attack. So essentially you charge. You move toward them, attack them, but then you can continue charging and run right by them and you do not provoke an attack of opportunity. Hmm. This is really strong because you can charge past them. Free overrun. Yeah, and then you can turn around and do it again. Now, the reason this is really good because it is a prerequisite for another feat Called spirited charge. Whenever you are mounted and you charge, you deal double damage with a melee weapon. Or triple damage with a lance. Because a lance already does double damage when you charge on the back of a mount. Oh, snap. Now, the reason I say I don't personally like this is because this is so brain dead easy and so very, very effective that it is it's not that it's overpowered, but it's just one of the best options for Cavalier, and it's kind of like why wouldn't you do this? Mm-hmm. It's so easy and it's so effective.
1: Right. It's one of those things that you have a lot of house rules because everyone's epic. This anyway, this might be a consideration for that kind of
0: house rule Like they're gonna pick this anyway. Because triple damage with a lance, you're charging, you're power attacking, it gets ridiculous very fast. And again, it's not that it's overpowered, it's just that it's such a strong option. It it shadows over most other things.
1: There's trample where you can overrun somebody, and while you do that, you can make an attack against them free. Uh the ho- the horse can the mount can, I should say. Because you can have a lot more than
0: just a horse's mount. Now, if you really want to ride your cat familiar into battle, you can take the feet uh undersized mount which yes is, which allows you to ride a creature of your size category take me
1: into battle yes. glorious steed. <laughs>
0: <laughs> you might have to cast reduce person no on. no no that's a leave the ball of yarn alone <laughs> guys i'll get there in a second <laughs> now you might need to cast reduce person on yourself if you want to ride a cat but you can now ride mounts that are of your size category
1: there's trick riding where if you wear light or no armor uh you don't need to make any ride checks that are uh 15 or lower
0: which was most of them if I recall correctly
1: and you don't get you don't have to take a minus five
0: penalty for riding a mount bareback which is kind of cool because I like the idea if you're good at riding things you should be able to ride bareback also you can use mounted combat to avoid two attacks per round now instead of just one trick riding is a prerequisite for mounted skirmisher now trick riding you can only take a level nine requires nine ranks and ride mounted skirmisher requires 14 ranks and ride what it says is that if your mount moves at speed or less you could take a full attack action so now your mount can move up to someone and you could take a full round action is really cool yeah and there's actually it's, made, it's pounce. It's the pounce ability. And you said
1: there's like a trick for the monk to get this before level fourteen.
0: Oh yes, cheese warning! Everyone, uh, get out your gouda. This is... <laughs> get out your cheese knives and plates. Here we go. I don't remember your cork it's... board. <laughs> I don't remember its name, but there's an archetype for monk that is mounted flavored. I want to say it's sohei, maybe. But you we're... sohei. <laughs> Regardless. What Monks ignore prerequisites for the bonus feats, right? That's the reason they're so good. The archetype says that instead of the regular list of bonus feats you pick for monk, you can also pick from any mounted combat feat. So at level two, level one or two, you can just take mounted skirmisher, which you can normally get at only level 14, and have flurry from level two onwards. And then
1: we can finally have our flurry of blows in the middle of the thing that we were picturing earlier. yeah. On the back of your cat. <laughs> With your knitting yes! needles. Yes! <laughs> With your tungsten knitting needles. Yes! <laughs> adamantine (laughs) it's like you, you say to your uh see your gym has no idea this is happening you say to him i'd like to get some adamantine knitting needles um okay Sure. How much is that? I don't know. Like 10 gold. What does it matter? <laughs> Not going to use everything. Sure. Excellent. <laughs> oh, I'd like to adopt this back alley cat. Oh, okay. Do I have to make uh, any like, you know, survival checks? Nah, nah. we will just hand wave those rules. And all of a sudden, level two, I'm mounting combat on my cat doing a fury of blows with my sewing needles.
0: They're very sharp. <laughs> I don't know why I picked adamantium. I guess I'm attacking a lot of items, <laughs> <laughs> a lot of golems. You know, you and your cat got to take down the constructs of the world.
1: <laughs> you know, like just like just swarming all around the thing. Instead of like using my five feet movement to move actual spaces on the board, I'm actually using just five feet around the guy. The giant has no chance.
0: And so that's all we're gonna say about magic combat. Relatively simple. A few rules associated with it, but not that bad. Yeah, and it's a great boon to anyone that picks that direction to go with their character. Now, next, we're going to talk about something that isn't fun at all, and you should never, ever do. Don't do it. Just don't do it. Underwater combat. Don't fight things underwater. We are unless you have like a swim speed. No, nope, nope, no, I don't d- care. If don't you don't have do it.
1: that. If you're a merfolk. If you're not. If you've taken all the feats. If you've if you've even taken the one archetype that is good for <laughs> underwater combat.
0: Don't do it. You know why? Because it's not fun, and no one else is going to be doing it. <laughs> yeah, so if you have a like underwater campaign, just make it a way to ignore all these stupid penalties because they're just basically saying, forget you, forget you, forget you, things underwater rock, you can't fight us without freedom of movement. But let's get into the actual rules for it. So basically, you take a penalty on just about everything while you're in the water when you try to make an attack roll or such. Now suppose you just jump in the water. If you fail your swim check. Yeah, if you fail your check, you probably can't move and you're now sinking down to the bottom. If you attack something underwater and you have, you just jump right in the water, nothing, no preparation, or anything if you use a slashing or bludgeoning weapon you take a minus two on your attack rolls and you deal half damage and same thing if you're using a piercing weapon you take a minus two on your attack rolls and you deal half damage and you're considered off balance which means you're flat-footed, and everyone gets a plus two to attack against you. Basically, again, I said, don't do this. (laughs) You are now flat-footed. You can't deal any damage. You probably can't hit anything, and everything's going to destroy you in the water. The water is supposed to be terrifying. (laughs) Supposed to be, it is, Christian. (laughs) We live near Atlantic City, and I don't go near that water, sir.
1: You can't see your feet, that means that means just, just by law of my mind's fear, if I can't see my feet, there's at least at any given time nine sharks swimming around Ex- my yeah, feet. Yeah, exactly. Any given, if I could see my feet, then there wouldn't be, but because I can't, there is at least
0: nine. And you have to remember that I bring this up whenever swimming or pools of water come up in campaigns is that we as a civilized people have like pools and safe oceans, whereas people in this the Pathfinder setting, there's no such thing as a pool unless you're filthy stinking rich. And you know what there is such a thing as? A dire crocodile. (laughs) Like, any pool of water you go in probably has eldritch horrors in it. It probably has things waiting to kill you. Just in general, like, that's a normal accepted thing. You go into the water, okay, you're probably going to get killed. Pretty much
1: all water, treat it like you're in the uh, Florida? I would say in the bayou. (laughs) And like, would you swim in that? No, I (laughs) wouldn't. I
0: wouldn't even go near it. You come out covered in leeches, missing a like because there's like alligator latched onto it (laughs) if you succeed at your swim check you can move one quarter your speed as a move action hooray one quarter your speed so what is that five feet for 30 foot movement cool Alright, you still take the minus two penalty on attack rolls and deal half damage with a slashing or bludgeoning weapon, but with a piercing weapon, it's acted as normal because I guess piercing weapons have an easier time cutting through the water.
1: Makes sense. Now from a
0: merfolk, and I have a swim speed, same deal with the two weapons we just described,
1: minus two half damage with slashing or bludgeoning, full damage with the piercing. My movement is normal though, I got my swim speed so I can move whatever my swim speed is, it's 40 feet, I move 40 feet, and I'm still not off balance. Now there's
0: this weird rule where if you have firm footing, which is like... Like if you're touching the bottom of a body of water, like. Or you're, like, against a ship hole or something weird like that. It acts just the same as having a swim speed, except you just move half your speed. Right. It makes sense. I mean, if if, you... You can kick off it, I guess. Yeah, Yeah. if
1: you're only up to your waist in water, you don't
0: get all these penalties. Now, freedom of movement is a spell. And you basically ignore anything that impedes your movement, water included. You jump in the water and you just kind of walk around. You are not affected at all. Everything is normal.
1: Yep, you move normally. All three kinds of weapons do damage normally, and you're not off (laughs) balance.
0: So yeah, unless you have freedom of movement, don't go in the water, please. It's as if the water
1: doesn't exist. You're walking on the... It's like if you could just walk on the ground in the water. That oh, way, make sure you have a,
0: a, a air bubble or some sort of water breathing spell. Now, there are... Other rules, if you happen to try and use a ranged attack underwater, you take a minus two penalty on your attack roll for every five feet of water it passes through, in addition to whatever normal penalties for range. So if you try to throw a dagger underwater, you don't. (laughs) It doesn't go anywhere. Now suppose that there's an enemy wading through the water, or like, the water has to be at least chest deep for this rule to apply. They have improved cover. That is a plus 8 to their AC and a plus 4 bonus on their reflex saves if you try to attack them from land. I mean, do we even have to say this? Non-magical fire, like Alchemist's fire, doesn't burn underwater. It's important that they mention alchemist fire because I always thought alchemist fire was like Napalm, which I think does burn underwater. Oh, okay. So, uh, apparently it doesn't, so that's good. Spells or spell-like effects with the fire descriptor are ineffective underwater unless you make a caster level check. DC 20 plus the the spell level.
1: Oh, man, I never knew that.
0: That's really hard. Yeah, but it's good to know. But if, if you succeed... The spell creates a bubble of steam instead of its usual fiery effects, but otherwise works as described.
1: Actually, I think this one's kind of good to know because I'm not dumb enough to fight a green dragon in the swamp. The swamp, <laughs> But as a caster out on the land, I want to shoot my fireball spell at him. I'm going to need to know this rule. That's a smart thing to do. Yeah, I think, I think it is an important one to know.
0: Now, if you happen to have a supernatural fire effect, like from your class abilities, I want to say witches' Hexes would fall under this. It is completely unaffected by the water because it's supernatural. Mm-hmm. Now, suppose you are a spell caster and you're underwater. You can't breathe. You can't talk. You're going to have a difficulty casting spells. You have to make a concentration check equal to 15 plus the spell level in order to cast a spell underwater. And if you happen to have to ca- cast a fire spell underwater, you have to stack that on top of the DC 20 plus spell level. So you have to make one, then the other.
1: If you can breathe underwater, if you're a Gilman or something like that, you can cast the spells normally. Um, but some spells might function differently underwater, subject to the GM. That makes sense. Here's something interesting here. So let's say, I understand why it has the 15 plus spell level check, because if it has a somatic component, uh, I need to make movements, and the water is gonna impede imp- those movements. Does that mean it doesn't say it here, but if it has verbal components, does that mean I can't cast a spell at all? Or is it just well, the no, muffled it, of the spell? It's What's just it? the muffled. Okay. Your voice
0: is muffled. You're still saying the things, but it's more difficult to you know make it out. Okay. Now, what if a spell doesn't have verbal or somatic? Is it still subject to this check? As written, yes. All it says is that a creature that cannot breathe underwater must make a concentration check to cast a spell underwater it doesn't specify okay. about what components it needs it doesn't save it's quickened or anything it just says if you can't breathe underwater you got to make a concentration check okay and again, I don't think my players should be throwing themselves into the water. So again, like I'm a swimmer. I like the water. But in Pathfinder, don't go in the water unless it's specifically a watery campaign and you got ways of getting around it.
1: And there's different creatures that if they do anything to the water, they'll let you know. What do I do if there's a whirlpool? Well, go under the water elemental spell. He has the water elementals and the bestiary. They have the whirlpool ability. That'll tell you everything it does. Now, like... I know we've been really hitting down underwater combat. We do have to acknowledge that there are campaigns where you're on ships. That's not inconceivable.
0: I mean it, <laughs> because every spell has a listing whether or not it works on a pirate ship, specifically a pirate ship. <laughs> <laughs> so no fog cloud doesn't travel with a pirate ship. No altar winds doesn't travel with a ship. No fireball right. doesn't set a ship Stop on fire. Stop asking, please. <laughs> Nothing works on ships except that one spell.
1: <laughs> <laughs> so uh so the idea here is like that might happen. You might fall off, you hit by a crack like Listen, if you're in a ship campaign, you better fight a Kraken, all right? Otherwise, just leave your GM. But, you know, he's going to destroy your ship. You fall in the water. You're going to need to know some of these rules. But the most I think you'll really know is that thing about spell casting from land into water. Uh, the, the knowledge that certain spells won't affect the water. And to know, like, that your attacks, how uh, they're have underwater certain ones right those are the ones to keep in mind the rest of the stuff you need to know is covered under our skills episode talking about swim about your swim speed and all that those are all the things you really need to know you don't need to worry too much about you know how fast you rise underwater or something like that caleb yeah what if what if what if Uh huh. i'm on a mount and i go underwater <laughs> go screw yourself <laughs> actually this is possible you can have a shark mount as uh, an underwater creature there's certain uh i know an archetype for the merfolk gives you a mount. Uh, so I'm, I'm not sure. I guess it would, the rules would
0: just overlap. Well, now what if my mountain has freedom of movement and I don't? These are the questions you don't ask your DM. <laughs>
1: I don't know.
0: Just don't, be, don't you
1: know, do it. You know why I'm not going to look up the rules for that? Because I'll never have to use it. <laughs> it's committing stuff to memory that I'll never use. I need that space for other things like the cheat codes to Sonic t- uh, 2. Uh, up, down, left, right, hold, day start. You're swinging on the vine, opens up the secret menu, get all the levels you want. <laughs> Don't judge me. That's Sonic 3. I, I already Sonic did, 3. I already have judged you. <laughs> way, <laughs> be- way, way. Be- way before this. <laughs> <laughs> so grapple is very, very complicated. And because of this, there's like notes and charts and things on it. So you can figure out, can I do this? Because the question players always ask their GMs is, can I do this? And in grapple, that question is very difficult for GMs to answer. So we want to help you guys by going over a chart that will show you what you can do uh, at each round of combat when you're talking about grapple. And this is good for both GMs and players. If you're a player who grapples a lot, if you're like a monk and you're going to focus on
0: grappling, then learn this chart. And if you're a GM, you're going to need to know this chart for in case grapple comes up. And to help illustrate it, we're going to pretend that I've become fed up with all the insults that Caleb throws at me, and I will be the grappler, and I am grappling <laughs> Caleb. <laughs> it's my dream. I've always <laughs> wanted this. Hold me closer. <laughs> so round one. Shh. Slower. <laughs> Caleb's pissed me off. <laughs> As always. So I'm going to try to grapple him. I initiate- Wait, wait let's role play this. Generic internet insult
1: about your mother.
0: OMG. <laughs> You're going down. Oh no, come at me, bro. So this is round one. So round one, I want to grapple Caleb. First, he's always got to be within my reach, and I need to grapple as a standard action, making a combat maneuver check. Now, do I have the feet improve grapple, or do I have the grab ability, special ability? The answer is yes, I've been preparing for this. I wanted to <laughs> grapple Caleb, and I this is premeditated, so yes, I have the improved You've been, re-
1: you've been preparing for this your whole <laughs> life. I was born ready,
0: son. <laughs> so I don't provoke an attack of opportunity when I do this. <laughs> oh, no, he
1: has me, and he scared me because I wasn't looking at him.
0: He rolls CMB versus my CMD. So I rolled 1d20. I rolled an 11, and I add my combat maneuver bonus, my CMB to that, and I'm going to assume it beats Caleb's CMD because I know he has a very low strength and a very low dexterity score. <laughs> my intelligence is
1: through the roof, <laughs> as you guys can tell from the affluent way I speak. <laughs>
0: Ask yourself, is the defender adjacent to to the attacker is caleb adjacent to me yes i'm sitting right next to him in that case we're always close (laughs) the attacker and the defender both of us now gain the grappled condition oh no oh yes i'm i think (laughs) we we both take the penalties associated with being grappled
1: but then what's the benefit of grappling
0: for you i may release the grapple at any time whereas you have to try and break out
1: okay And that's the turn complete, the attacker's turn complete. And you get a attacker gets a plus five bonus to CMB checks to maintain the grapple in the future.
0: We'll see that on round two. I'm going to have to maintain this grapple if I want to keep Caleb in my grasp and crush him.
1: Now we asked ourselves some questions, so let's go back to the first one. After you initiated it, you said, do you have the grapple or grab ability? What if you didn't? Let's say you didn't. Then you're provoking an attack of opportunity from the defender, which is me. So I roll my attack. Were you hit by this attack? If no, then back to where we were before. The
0: attacker rolls the CME versus CMD. So what happens if you do slap me in the face when I go to grapple you? Because <laughs> I know you can't throw a punch like a real man. <laughs> <laughs> oh, In that case, I'm going to take damage normally, and however much damage Caleb deals, which is probably not a lot, I take that damage as a penalty to my grapple check. So if he hit me for one damage, I would take a minus one on this grapple check. If he hit me for five damage, I'd take a minus five on this grapple check.
1: All right, so now we're at that grapple check, and you roll your CMB versus my CMD, and what if you fail? Then the grapple fails, neither party is considered grappled at all. End of it. End of the first round.
0: You got really lucky because I rolled a natural one. Yeah,
1: well, I've waited that die, sir, and you will <laughs> always be natural ones. <laughs> if you successfully did grapple me, we ask the question, Are you are you adjacent to me? Is the defender adjacent to the attacker? Is there an open adjacent space available? If not, grapple fails again. End of the first round.
0: So if I have reach and I use my 10-foot reach because I have really long arms, because I... Ex- sacrifice myself to Cthulhu because I really want to grab Caleb and I have these elders arms. Most people arms. do it for, for knowledge but you're doing it for the tentacles and I, I respect that about you. <laughs> In which case I grab him he's 10 feet away but there is a space adjacent to me I pull him into that adjacent space.
1: And then we go back to both people gain the grapple condition. So we've covered everything that can happen on the attacker's first turn of trying to initiate grapple. Whew, we're done right? Yeah. You nope. grappled. <laughs> Wait what I grappled you. It's Not over. only is there a second chart there's a third page later sir. A second page later.
0: So, <laughs> so let's go go right now over the conditions we have while we're grappled we mentioned it before but let's just remind ourselves what happens now both of us take a minus four penalty to dexterity can't make
1: attacks of opportunity
0: neither of us can move although we can still take move actions we can't physically move from one place to another
1: we take minus two penalty on all attack rolls and combat maneuver checks except those made to grapple or escape a grapple
0: we can't take any action that requires both our hands to perform oh man
1: (laughs) what were you thinking
0: (laughs) use your imagination (laughs)
1: can't you (laughs) I wanted to pet his head tenderly. (laughs) Cannot use stealth to hide from the creature grappling it, even if a special ability such as hide in plain sight would normally allow it to do so. You can't hide from me. No invisibility
0: Mm -hmm. there, ninjas. I'm physically holding you. If the grappled creature was to become invisible through a spell or some other ability, they get a plus two circumstance bonus to their combat maneuver defense to avoid being grappled. So it's a little bit harder to grapple them. Right. But that's
1: it. There's no other benefit.
0: Right. You don't have concealment from me because grappling you. Again, touching you right.
1: actively. And, and right now at this stage, the first round that just got over, we both have all that. But what you as the attacker has is a, a plus five to continue the grapple. I don't have that.
0: Also, I can mean I am the one that decides when it ends. If you want to get away, <laughs> yeah, I won't let you. Uh, you got. I gotta
1: ask real nice. Like, all right. So now it's round two of the grapple. It it's is your my turn, turn. Caleb. Yes, I've correct. got
0: you grappled.
1: And I'm scared. I'm really scared. What is he going to do to me? This is where you can take one of three actions. I can attempt to become the controlling grappler as a standard action. If I do that, I make a CMB or escape artist check versus your CMD.
0: If you succeed, which you totally won't, but theoretically, if you succeeded, (laughs) then you are now the controlling grappler. You get the plus five to successive checks to maintain grappling me, and I cannot freely leave the grapple.
1: Right. But if I fail, both parties continue to have the grappled condition, and the attacker is still controlling the grapple. Now, second action, I can attempt to
0: break free so that I can act
1: normally as a standard action. I make a CMB or escape artist check versus your CMD again.
0: If he succeeds, which again, he's not going to, but if Caleb succeeds, then he just escapes. I am no longer grappling him. We both lose the grappled condition.
1: But if I fail... Back to square one. Both parties continue to have the grapple condition, and the attacker is still controlling the grapple.
0: And you just wasted your standard action.
1: No, my standard action. Third thing I can do. Attempt any action that doesn't require two hands. Depending on the action, it may be immediate, free, swift, standard move, for full round action. I may make an attack or full attack with a light one-handed weapon. This re- this attack receives a minus two to hit. I can hit you, or I can hit a person adjacent to me.
0: Right. We used to take the minus two penalty, and you can't use a two-handed weapon.
1: Right. So, I can, so if this is like if you're grappling with, like, with a dagger. Picture a thief or something. The dagger stabs, stabs, stabs you in the gut to try to get you to let go. Another thing I can do is I can attempt to cast a spell without any somatic components and whose material components. I have in hand. I have to make a concentration check though. And this is uh, kind of like if I'm the wizard spellcaster and I happen to have the bat guano in my hands, I can light it You know, I can set it on fire and try to fireball you
0: off of me. I don't think you can use fireball because that has somatic components. You're it, right. It puts everything with somatic components off your options. That's you need right. verbal only spells, which is are only a very few like right. Dimension Door comes to mind.
1: I think there's some personal spells that are, are also just verbal. Right. Um, so I can ca- I can still speak as so I can still, you know, chant my spells. <laughs> concentration check is a decent c 10 plus the initial attacker, CMB, plus spell level. Not really easy. CMBs yeah, that's are really difficult.
0: High. I would say that's almost impossible in most last cases. Right. Now, if you succeed, though, you just spell, cast a spell like normal. And if you don't do it, the spell fails and you lose it. Round three. Now, assuming that Caleb didn't break out of my grapple, it is now my turn again. Mm-hmm. And we are we start this turn. We're both grappled. Now, what I can choose to do, which I won't, is I can release the grapple as a free action. In which case, we both just lose the grapple condition and that's that. Now, my other options are I can maintain the grapple and then try and hurt him or do some other action after I maintain the grapple. As a standard action, I roll a combat maneuver bonus, plus five check. This is my plus five for maintaining the grapple. So I roll my grapple check, I add a five to it, and I'm trying to beat his CMD. If I succeed, I've maintained the grapple. Now from here, I may move myself and Caleb up to half my move speed. At the end of my movement, I can place Caleb in any square adjacent to me that I so choose. If the location I try to put him, though, is hazardous, Caleb would get a plus four bonus to break free of the grapple.
1: So if you're about to throw me into like into a pit, I get an immediate another CMB versus your CMD, and I get a plus four.
0: These actions I'm listing are part of the grapple maintaining check. Once I succeed the check, I can do any of these. I can move Caleb. I may try to inflict damage on Caleb. I can, again, use an unarmed strike, a natural attack, armor spikes, light or one-handed weapons. I take the minus two penalty on attack rolls just like before, but I can attack him now. I can also attempt to pin Caleb, in which case I just make a combat maneuver check against his combat maneuver defense again. Caleb has the pin condition and he loses his dex bonus to AC and all the penalties incurred with that. But I also lose my dex bonus to AC, although I'm still simply grappled, I'm not pinned. Lastly, I can just simply continue restraining Caleb and maintaining the grapple.
1: Which kind of thing, I don't think it's a thing you really do in combat so much as like you're role playing, you want to hold your buddy back or something like that.
0: You'll hold me back, hold
1: me back. Yeah, usually, if you're going through all this complex stuff, you're going to do something with your
0: action right. in combat. Now, after I take one of those four actions, I move him, I attack him, I pin him, or I simply maintain the grapple, my standard action ends. Right. Now, again, at the beginning of my turn, I can release Caleb, I can maintain the grapple, or my other option is I can try and tie Caleb up. If he is pinned, restrained, or unconscious, then I may attempt to tie Caleb up. So first, I would have had to have done what we talked about before. I would have had to have maintained the grapple. I would have had to make another check, and I would have had to pin him down or otherwise punch him until he becomes unconscious. Right. (laughs) (laughs) Go to sleep, go to sleep, go to sleep, go to sleep. (laughs) I can't use this rope until you're asleep. In which case... Assuming I have rope somewhere on me, I can use rope to tie the defender up. Now if I tie him up with the rope, it's like I'm pinning him, but the rope now is pinning him. I don't have to do anything, he is now pinned by the rope. The DC for him to escape the rope is 20 plus my combat maneuver bonus. So it's as if I rolled a natural 20 on my CMB, which is, that's a pretty hard check to make.
1: Very. This (laughs) is one of the very, very few cases where a rule is changed. In this, a
0: natural 20 will not automatically succeed. So as we know, Caleb was incredibly weak. His CMB, even if he rolled a natural 20, he would not beat my CMB plus 20. Right. So he can never escape the rope. He's there forever.
1: Now, what if I'm not pinned, restrained, or unconscious? Christian can make a CMB check minus 10 versus my CMD. If he succeeds, then back to pin condition with the rope. But if he fails, he continues the grapple, but fails to time me up. It's kind of like a wasted
0: action. So while Caleb is pinned, he cannot move.
1: I'm denying my dex bonus, but I'm not flat footed.
0: He takes, an, on top of that, he takes a minus four pal, you do his AC.
1: I can always attempt to free myself, usually through a combat maneuver check or escape artist check.
0: You can only take verbal and mental actions.
1: I can't cast any spells that require somatic or material components, which I don't know of a spell that doesn't require a material component.
0: I at least need to be able to reach my holy symbol. If Caleb attempts to cast a spell or use a spell-like ability, he has to make a concentration check with a DC equal to 10, plus my combat maneuver bonus, plus the level of the spell or lose the spell.
1: Now, pinned, while being a more serious version of grappled, does not stack with grappled. It's its own thing.
0: Right, you're not pinned and grappled, you're just pinned.
1: Now, if I'm tied up, it's even worse, because now I have the helpless condition.
0: He's treated as having a dexterity of 0, so he has a minus 5 modifier from his dexterity.
1: Melee attacks against a helpless target get a plus 4 bonus. It's like attacking a prone target.
0: Although ranged attacks don't get any special bonuses. And Rose can sneak attack Caleb.
1: So he can tie me up and then threaten to just stab me right in the spinal cord. (laughs) (laughs) Well, we're done. Now, you know, you go back to keep referencing the chart as you continue your grapple.
0: Now this becomes pretty easy once you do it a few times. You might wanna have the chart on hand the first few times you grapple, but it it gets a really natural flow. Everyone always has an option of what they wanna do. They either wanna continue the grapple or they wanna escape the grapple.
1: So there's a nice little chart here that's gonna tell us all about how common actions do and don't provoke attacks of opportunity. We've mentioned them a couple times. Whether uh, as we go over some actions, if they attacked, if they provoke attack of opportunities, we're gonna go over here and give you a nice little succinct area. And this, this is a great chart. I think you should address it as a GM or as a player, but especially as a GM, knowing what is and what is not going to
0: uh, provoke an attack of opportunity. This is in the combat section of the core rulebook, or on the SRD, or anything like that. It'll be in the combat section. Mm-hmm. So we're gonna go through them. I'll name it and
1: you tell me whether or not it provokes an attack of opportunity. So here's a list of standard action. I'm melee attacking somebody.
0: Nope, does not provoke. Even if there's like three guys around me and I attack one of them and not the other two? Nope. Cool. Because, you know, you're swinging a sword. It's not like an opening. Like, haha, you're swinging, you're fighting me. <laughs> <laughs> okay, you're next to me. I pull my I range attack, pull my bow back, to shoot you. I'm not letting you do that. I'm going to hit you. Okay. Uh, I'm going to punch you right in the face. If you don't have improved on Strike, yes, that invokes. Because, you know, I have a deadly weapon and you have your fist. I'm going to. Hit your fist with my sword. I'm going to activate a magic item. Uh, no, typically not.
1: What if I drink a potion? Yes. What if I use an oil? Well, yeah, you're rubbing it on your sword. I'm not going to let you do that. And just a second. Just give me a second. Wait, <laughs> wait,
0: wait, 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 It's just shining oil. It doesn't actually do anything. just want to be really
1: shiny before I stab you.
0: <laughs> Ate another. Only if you're aiding someone with something that would invoke an attack of opportunity normally. Gotcha. That action
1: has to be a provoking action.
0: Right. So if you're aiding someone with a melee attack, which doesn't provoke an attack of opportunity, no. If you're aiding someone with a ranged attack, then... Gotcha. Uh, yes, it would. Okay. Casting a spell. Oh, yeah. Um, oh, yeah. You're just waving your fingers around. You're just saying some mumbo jumbo at me. I'm going to stab you. Just cut off those fingers. Yeah. <laughs> it's a
1: fire derp right in our feet. I don't care.
0: <laughs> I'm channeling energy. Uh, no, that is a supernatural ability. It falls I under why. <laughs> it, it falls under <laughs> something it doesn't invoke. You kind of just clap your hands together and go, life or death or whatever you say. I'm concentrating and maintain a spell. Uh, nope. That's kind of a weird one. I always thought that
1: would. It's like you're just standing there. Um, yeah, you put your hand
0: up to your forehead. And you're like, oh, go mm-hmm. fire thingy. <laughs> Dis- uh,
1: come on. Listen, it's a long casting time. Uh, <laughs> that's why
0: Frieza just stood there <laughs> the whole time. It's like, I, it doesn't invoke. What do I do? <laughs> <laughs> Dismiss a spell. Nope. That's a free action. Draw a hidden weapon. I'm Ezio from uh, Assassin's Creed. Where'd this come from? No, because it's hidden. I was, I'm going to be like, oh, <laughs> weapon.
1: <laughs> Escape a
0: grapple. No. Yeah. Fain. No, fainting does not provoke an attack of opportunity, even if you fail. Uh, lighting a torch. Oh, yeah, I'm not going to. With a tinder wig.
1: Why do they need to be so specific?
0: Tinder twig, not what? a tinder wig. I, mean, I would never a tw- wear a tinder wig. I don't That's, know a what's... Fi- That's a fire hazard. Uh, read a scroll. <laughs> read anything next to me, I'm going to hit you. Don't read near me. You know that triggers me. <laughs> Ready in action. Nope stabilize a dying friend i just killed him i'm gonna kill you too i'm not gonna let you bring him back to life (laughs) stabilize a
1: dying enemy you got me (laughs) (laughs) Uh, all right taking total defense
0: well no that's the whole point use an extraordinary ability (laughs) no that does not And just so you guys know that's anything that has a little ex after it so you know if it says like hide in plain sight ex that's an extraordinary ability use any skill that takes one action Typically. There's there's a few things that don't, but they're far and few between. Most things will.
1: Using a spell-like
0: ability. Oh, yeah. (laughs) Oh, oh, yeah, definitely. (laughs) Using supernatural ability. No. Again, the the spell-like ability is going to say, you know, whatever you do with an SP after it, so those will invoke, and supernatural abilities will say, like, hide in plain sight, SU. It's a supernatural. (laughs) SU! No. So here's a list of move actions. Just moving. Out of, like, if you're in my range mm-hmm. and I can hit you, yeah. Then that's only if you move out of a space I threaten. If you move into a space I threaten, that's fine. Right. But if you move out of it, then you provoke. Control a frightened mount. Oh, yeah. I'm not going to let you. I scared your horse. So I'm going to stab you. Shh. shh, shh. It's
1: okay. Stab. <laughs> <laughs> Quiet stab. But stab. It's still okay. It's still okay. He's stabbing me, but it's okay. <laughs> <laughs> Direct or redirect an active spell?
0: Yeah, uh, it doesn't. Draw a weapon? Uh, no. Um, you're now threatening me with a weapon. I can't just stab you.
1: Loading a hand crossbow or light crossbow? Not letting you do that. Ugh. What when I
0: shoot you with it? That's not helping your case. Dagnar- <laughs> uh Open or close a door? Actually, no, I will. For some reason, I'm going to let you open or close a door. <laughs> oh, you notice you're using it to like block his attack. You know, you open the car door and they hit the motorcyclist. Uh, you mean like every scene of Child
1: of Men? <laughs> <laughs> Mount or dismount a steed. I'm going to let you do that for some reason. <laughs> it's because as I, as I jump up, I, I just karate kick you in the face.
0: Move a heavy object. I'm going to hit you.
1: Move a super heavy object.
0: I'm probably going to hit you harder. Move a mountain. (laughs) I'm kind of in awe, so maybe (laughs) not. All
1: right. Uh, She the weapon.
0: Uh, Yeah, you're putting your weapon away. I'm prime stabbing time. Prime prime stabbing time. Stand up from being prone. Oh, yeah, I'm going to hit you. That's a big one. Ready or drop a shield. No, I'll let you do that.
1: (laughs) The point of the shield is in the (laughs) way. Retrieving a stored item. Did
0: you just reach into your shirt and pull out something? Hey, where do you
1: think I stored (laughs) it? Inside pockets. (laughs)
0: stabbing you. Like, I understand readying a shield, but dropping a shield, that's a weird one. Like, haha, my shield's not here.
1: (gasps) (laughs) I'm so surprised. So what if I pick up an item?
0: Uh, I'm hitting you, as long as I can reach you. All right, let's talk about some full round actions. A full attack. Nope, you're just like regular attacking me, I can't just stab you when you're stabbing me. You, what if i You can't cross stabs.
1: What if I'm Leroy Jenkins charging you?
0: No, I have a 332 But now I got like nine whelps around me.
1: <laughs> uh, what if I deliver a coup de grace?
0: That, that That is a full round action And yes, that does provoke that opportunity Even if you're if you're trying to coup de gras One of my friends are going to be like, hell no mm-hmm. and Which is important for coup de gras Because you can attempt to like um, disarm someone That's trying to do a coup de gras Or you can try and bull rush them away from the person That's trying to coup de gras That one's really important Listen, You don't coup de gras my friends Only I coup de gras my friends <laughs> I need their strength because I have death now <laughs> Escape from a net a tiny net <laughs> just one that covers up my face and <laughs> my hands yes like, like a hair net <laughs> uh extinguish flames i'll let you do that <laughs> i don't want to get your fire either that, buddy that, that's a weird one cuz there's a lot of ways to extinguish flames like oh wait no if you're on fire i think they mean yeah. Like, like yeah, like, you guys, yeah I'll, I'll i'm going to let you do that that's the
1: sound of me patting myself i don't
0: want to fight you think it's a fire I will, I, i'll wait what, like what if i cast create water to put out the flame <laughs> <laughs> what from the fire elemental i don't care uh light a torch uh, yeah.
1: Load a heavy or repeating crossbow.
0: Just like before, yeah, I'm going to stab you either way. Lock or unlock weapon in locked gauntlet. Oh, yeah. Prepare to throw splash weapons. I didn't know preparing splash weapons was different, but apparently I'm going to stab you when you do that. <laughs> run. <laughs> <laughs> what
1: if I'm running away from you?
0: Oh, yeah. Uh, the run action, you have to run in a straight line, and if you go through me, then yeah. Since I can't run away from you, I can withdraw. Which uh, wouldn't provoke because you're a coward. (laughs) And I don't want to stain my blade with your coward blood. (laughs) Use a touch spell on up to six friends. Up to six? (laughs) I won't let you do that. Sorry, six is my number. (laughs) Now seven? (laughs) No, uh, I can't do that. I'm not sure about that one, but uh, up to six, yeah, I'm going to hit you. Use a skill that takes one round. Yes. Uh, usually. Again, usually it will. So I'm about
1: some free actions. What if I cease concentration?
0: No. What if I... No. What? No. <laughs> what about anything? It's a free action. No. What about any free actions? Any free action does not provoke.
1: Okay. So just, just to list them off, That cease concentration of spell, dropping an item, drop to the floor, prepare spell components to cast a spell, or the big one, speaking, which happens a lot. <laughs> yeah. Hey, John! Oh, I'm talking here! <laughs>
0: That's like. That would be I like have a, just one more minute. That would be the perfect way to make a party of murder hobos. Speaking invokes attacks of opportunity. Like, <laughs> no roleplay. Ah! <laughs> I will not let you. I will not let you mitigate this. Swift action casting a quickened spell. Swift action. Nope, does not. Um, even though even though it's a spell, you're just kind of like ha ha ha. Hey, I'm on fire. <laughs> Uh, no action like delaying or a five foot step. no, no action. It, it, this is these are no action. No, they don't because <laughs> you're literally not doing anything. What if I'm performing a combat maneuver? If you don't have the improved combat maneuver feet for that combat maneuver, I'm gonna stab you and then just using feet. There's thousands of feats. <laughs> thousands of ways for me to stab you.
1: so that that varies from feet to feet. So it's a cool little thing you can look that up that'll that'll help you out when because constantly in my campaign, I'm like, Oh, crap, does that provoke an attack of opportunity?
0: And just, you just got to be conscious of when you are and are not standing in threatened areas. Mm-hmm. So, some enemies have reach, some enemies don't have reach. You got to be careful of that.
1: Yeah, reach provides interesting things. What we said before is walking into an opponent's threatened square does not provoke an attack of opportunity, but walking out of does. You got to be very careful because you can interpret that statement to say, if I walk into an atta- a, a, a opponent's threatened square, that makes me immune to from whatever else would provoke an attack of opportunity. That is not correct. Say you're facing something that has a 10-foot reach, like a frost giant or something. Uh, that has more than 10 feet reach, I think. Uh, You walk into that first threatened square, no attack of opportunity. When, When you walk, again, towards him, out of that threatened square, into another threatened square, you're provoking an attack of opportunity. Even though you're walking into a threatened square, you're still walking out of one. At any point, if you walk out of one, you are provoking that attack.
0: Now, and this one's a little weird. That can only happen once. Once you walk out of a Frost Giant's uh, Threatened Square and you invoke from him, even if he has combat reflexes, you can basically now run circles around him. He can only take that attack of opportunity for leaving one of his threatened squares once around.
1: I never knew that. I thought once he had... Yeah, I had reflexes. to look that up
0: once because I like, saw wording that was really strange on a feed or something. I was like, oh. So this just that... allows
1: you if he does another action that provokes. Right. So gotcha. if, he,
0: if you move out of his threatened square and then he goes to drink a potion or if someone else then moves out of one of your threatened squares, you can attack them. But just for moving out of a threatened square that can only happen once All around. Right. So, you, of... so you could run a circle around someone and only provoke one attack of opportunity.
1: And there's certain acrobatics checks you can make to try to get past somebody. Tumbling. Um. <laughs> So now, let's go over some conditions that you can get on your character. There's a whole host of
0: things that can happen to you that give you a ton of different modifiers. Usually penalties. These are things that happen to you that, although they can be caused by magic, they're not magical in nature. Right. You got sand in your eyes. You got tripped. Anything like that. These are conditions that can be inflicted on you from actions of other people. Right. So uh, we're just going to go through them alphabetically. And then we'll bunch up ones that make sense to be together. You'll see.
1: All Blinded. This
0: is the sand in the eye or this
1: because daylight on somebody's eyes, you know whatever. G- if you get glitter dusted <laughs> or just glitter cuz you know I hate glitter. I'm I'm a custodian and there's two things in our in this world that I hate. One is dust and two is glitter cuz neither of them come up.
0: <laughs> how often do you run into glitter?
1: You know I work at a church building that has a bunch of events and a lot of it's with little kids. Uh, so all the freaking time and we have weddings and gl- you would you would be surprised how much glitter is involved in weddings. We have yet to talk about being blinded. Blinded. <laughs> You take a
0: minus two penalty to your Well, arc. first you can't see. Yes. Right off the bat. Okay. So you can't see anything. You can't make perception checks. You actually cannot see.
1: Right. But what if my perception is really good with a plus 20?
0: You turn to daredevil. Yeah. Oh, cool. Excellent. You see a world on fire and other edgy things. <laughs> You get a minus two penalty to your armor class, which I guess kind of
1: represents not being able to see the blows that are coming at you. Um, you lose your dex bonus to AC.
0: So that those stacks, so you lost your dex to AC, so you're flat-footed, and you take a minus two. And you get a minus four penalty on most strength and dexterity-based skill check. And on a post-perception skill check. Anything that relies on vision automatically fails, obviously. any If you try to attack an opponent, like you hear someone, you know, they're next to you or they hit you with a weapon so you know they're standing in the space next to you. You can try to attack them with a weapon, but you treat every creature you go to attack when you're blinded as if they had total concealment from you. yeah. So That's you have, intense. Yeah, you have a straight 50% miss chance. This, this is
1: what makes a uh, Dirty Trick throwing sand in somebody's eye or clawing at their eyes uh, so
0: used is because blinded is so powerful. We're starting off with a really powerful effect. Yeah, this is definitely one of the most powerful ones. And remember, they're flat-footed so you can get sneak attacked while you're flat-footed.
1: You need to make a DC-10 acrobatic skill check to move faster than half your speed. If you fail it, you fall. A little note in here, and i are taking this much time to go over blinded, but this is kind of important, is that if you have a character and you're thinking, I want to have like this blind monk who can fight, it's really cool. You can do that. The game itself allows. It says if you're blinded for a a long period of time, you get used to it and you don't have to take these penalties anymore.
0: Or at least the penalties are lessened in a lot of cases.
1: The next condition is Confused, and we're hitting with another heavy hitter here. This is a a real good one to get off on your opponent, and real bad when it happens to you.
0: Yeah, if you get a lot of your teammates fail their will saves against the Confused spell, it Mm -hmm. could be a potential TPK. This is a very, very powerful condition. And
1: it's GM, if you have a Gunslinger, a high-level, or I should say a mid-level to high-level Gunslinger, he has ability, he can use his grip Points to Confuse confuse people. So by shooting them in the head, <laughs> instead of killing them or do any damage whatsoever, just confuse them. It's good to get familiar with this one, so let's talk about it. Essentially, you have a percent chance to act differently. You roll a d percentile. If you get 1 through 25, you act normally, no problems. Now, you might be like, "Then why do I even do this if there's a 25% chance that nothing happens?" The other effects are so great That this, you need to have some chance to have nothing happen. For example, if you get 26 to 50, you don't do anything but babble incoherently.
0: You lost a turn. It's like being stunned almost.
1: So, I mean, if you guys have been listening to our podcast, you know that it must mean Christians confused all the time. If you get fifty-one to seventy-five, you deal one d eight points of damage plus your strength modifier to yourself with whatever item you have in your hand. And then seventy-six to one hundred, you would, this is the worst, obviously, because it's the highest. You attack nearest creature for this purpose. A familiar counts as part of the subject's self, so you don't have to attack. Oh no, my, my little my little owl! I've just exploded into a poof of feathers. You attack the nearest creature. That's your ally. You're hitting your ally.
0: Now, that does have the potential to be good if you just have to be adjacent to an enemy. Right. Now, other than this table that you roll on, there are some other things that apply to being confused you treat everyone as if they're an enemy you cannot tell friend from foe so you treat everybody like they're an enemy that doesn't mean they have to make attacks of opportunity on them but you specifically do not know anyone specifically is your ally so that means
1: if you are attacked
0: your next turn you automatically attack your attacker don't even roll on the table you just automatically attack whoever hit you last which is why this is so bad if it happens to multiple people in your party as long as you're still confused if the confusion only lasts one round then it doesn't matter right like if you you and someone else in the party get hit with this. And then they roll attack the nearest creature and they attack you. Well, now you guys are in an all-out brawl until one of you die or the confused condition is gone. Right.
1: You cannot make any attacks of opportunity except ones that are against that creature that just procked you.
0: Yeah, so if you have attacked someone within the last round normally or if someone has attacked you and they're like, once you attack someone or they attack you, they're now a designated enemy. Mm-hmm. You know that they're a foe, mm-hmm. so you have, you can take attacks of opportunity against them.
1: Our next condition is dazed. where the creature is unable to attack normally, a dazed creature can take no actions, but takes no penalty to ac so it's like cowering except that you don't get
0: your penalty daze is like a lesser version of stunned you don't do anything for that turn but there's no penalties associated with it you just stand there for typically just one round but no the enemies attacking you have no sort of advantage on you cowering is the next one cowering just means you are frozen in fear you can't do anything you cower you take a minus two penalty to your armor class and you are flat-footed you lose your dexterity bonus to ac
1: pretty simple pretty straightforward stunned like dazed you can't do anything
0: like like cowering you lose your ac bonus and you lose your dex bonus and then in addition you drop whatever you're holding that one really sucks (laughs) like it's really a pain to have to pick your stuff back up again and it's like it's like the walk of shame (laughs) if you're creative gm what you should do is like have them over a pit or something
1: and then have somebody that can stun them that way they drop oh no you've dropped your plus nine sword of awesome into this pit this endless pit where palpatine fell into you can't get that back
0: Yeah, if you're a jerk like Caleb, do that. (laughs) How dare you? The next condition is Dazzled. This is a very, very minor condition.
1: This is related to the glitter that we were talking about
0: earlier. Yeah, it's like you didn't get it hit right in the eyes, but it's kind of floating in the air, and you're like, ah, it's so annoying. Yeah. Uh, You're just unable to see well because of overstimulation of the eyes. A Dazzled creature takes a minus one penalty on attack rolls, and slight base perception checks. So not that big a deal. Minus one still hurts, but it's not as bad as these other ones. Our next condition is deafened.
1: A deafened character cannot hear derp 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 You take a minus four penalty on initiative checks, automatically fail any perception checks based on sound, and you take a minus four penalty on opposed perception check. And you have a 20% chance of spell failure when casting spells with verbal components.
0: This is like the arcane check for somatic, except it's the verbal deafened usually lasts a really long time it's usually not a very short condition so the the big one is the minus four penalty on initiative checks that's actually a big hit now this like blinded
1: you can grow accustomed to this so if you want a character who's deaf you can do it and not worry about all these drawbacks that's about disabled this is the actual condition you get when you have zero hit points. We've kind of briefly talked about this in our our episode, our first episode about basic mechanics, but this is the actual condition your character will have.
0: No, no, this is if you have exactly zero hit points, or if you are brought into the negatives, but you have A, stabilized, so you're not bleeding out, and B, you've been brought back to consciousness in some way, right. which is a very, very niche scenario to happen, but just in case, you are also disabled when you're at negative hit points and conscious.
1: If you remember, as we said in our first episode you can take a single move action or standard action each round but if you take a standard action you're going to lose a hit but you cannot take any full round actions
0: but you can still take swift and immediate
1: and free actions
0: which is cool if you do move you only move at half speed
1: next is dying now i'm not only zero i'm at negative and i haven't
0: stabilized so first off you're unconscious You, you can't do anything and on your next turn after put into the dying condition, you have to make a constitution check to become stable. Note that this isn't a fortitude check, this is a constitution check. Right, so it's your constitution modifier.
1: And you take a penalty on this roll equal to your negative hit points.
0: Yeah, so if you're at negative five, you have to make essentially a DC 15 constitution check. And that's one of the few things where a natural 20 is an automatic success. If you fail the con check, you take one damage, and then you have to make the check again next turn with another one on the penalty. So if you keep failing this check and you eventually hit a number of negative hit points equal to your con score, so suppose you have 10 constitution and you hit negative 10 HP, that's the point where you actually die.
1: Yep, your character is done. No amount of healing can bring him back, you've got to use a spell. Or if you're like me, I pretty much don't let anyone ever resurrect. (laughs) Now, if you succeeded, you get into our next condition, unconscious. You already are unconscious, actually, technically,
0: while you are dying. But now you've gotten rid of the dying. So we talk about
1: unconscious. What is it?
0: You're just helpless essentially you're on the floor you don't really have an ac you're treated as having like a dex of zero for your ac and you just can't do anything until you're brought to consciousness you can do absolutely nothing so that
1: brings us to our next condition helpless helpless can be caused by a host of things you can be unconscious you can be sleeping you can be bound you can be paralyzed held it's whenever in any way that you're completely at another person's mercy
0: now when you're helpless as i said you're treated as having a dexterity of zero not not a dexterity modifier of zero you're treated as having zero dexterity in your score. Which means your modifier is negative five. So you're taking a minus five. First of all, you lose all your decks AC and then you take a minus five on top of that. If someone makes a melee attack against a helpless target, they get a plus four bonus. On their attack roll. So this is on, basically you can't miss someone that's helpless. They have zero dexterity and then you get a plus four to hit them. You basically will always hit someone um, that's unless helpless. Unless they're just like made of steel. <laughs> <laughs> Range attacks get no benefit to helpless targets, unfortunately. But rogues can sneak attack helpless targets. So now let's talk about Entangled,
1: which is our next one. Entangled is where you're ensnared in any way. Somebody threw a net on you. Uh, oh no, you were caught in the
0: underbrush. I am Entangled. An entangled creature moves at half speed, they can't run or charge, and they take a minus two penalty on all attack rolls. They also take a minus four penalty to dexterity. So if you have attacks that are based on dexterity, you take a minus two penalty to them. If your AC essentially gets lowered by two because you've lost four dexterity.
1: Mm. So... If I'm making a ranged attack, because I'm getting a minus 4 penalty to dex, I'm essentially getting a
0: minus 4 on my
1: ranged attack rolls.
0: Right, because it also stacks with the 2 penalty on attack rolls just for being entangled.
1: If you try to cast a spell while you're entangled, you have to make a concentration check, which we'll cover in our next episode about magic combat.
0: The next condition is going to be the fatigued condition. This is when you are tired out. There's a lot of spells that can cause this, or if you happen to not get sleep for a day, you'll wake up. Or you won't wake up because you weren't sleeping, but the next day you'll be fatigued. You get a minus two penalty to strength and dexterity. You can't run or charge. And the only way to get rid of fatigued is to sleep for eight hours or rest for eight hours. There's uh, some spells that get rid of it, like lesser restoration and things get rid of fatigue. But otherwise, you have to rest for eight hours to get rid of it.
1: That's right. Now, if I am fatigued and I do something that would make me fatigued again... Instead of being double fatigued, (laughs) I become exhausted which is our next condition.
0: So it's similar to Fatigued in that you cannot run or charge. You take a penalty to Strength and Dexterity, but it's a little bit stronger now. You now move at half speed, in addition to not being able to run or charge, and you take a minus six penalty to Strength and Dexterity, which confers to a minus three to most of the things that run off of Strength and Dexterity. So minus three to attack and damage rolls, minus three to your AC, things like that. Similarly to Fatigued, you can rest to get rid of Exhausted, but it only takes one hour of rest in order to get rid of Exhausted. Exhausted, and then you become fatigued afterward, Which takes eight.
1: So would that be a total of nine hours sleep?
0: Yes, okay. or rest, not necessarily sleep.
1: Now, what if I am exhausted and then somebody does something that would give me the fatigued condition? Any no.
0: additional effects? Nope, nothing in particular. You're just... Still exhausted.
1: <laughs> you essentially can't do anything that would normally make you exhausted anymore.
0: Right. Let's talk about fascinated. Our next one. This is most commonly caused by bards. And a lot of spells, like enchantment spells, they fascinate you. The bard does a performance and you're kind of like, oh, what's he doing? Let me look over there. Huh?
1: You stand or sit quietly, taking no actions other to pay attention to the fascinating effect. Oh, he's really good. Really good. Oh. Okay. I love the piano.
0: (laughs) The creature takes a minus 4 penalty on any skill check made as a reaction to anything such as a perception check to, to hear see, or see anything to see
1: that rogue coming up behind you ready to do his sneak attack damage
0: any potential threat that they do see though such as a hostile creature approaching or someone drawing a weapon or something like that allows this fascinated creature to make a new saving throw any really really obvious threat like someone pointing a bow and arrow at you you immediately break the fascinated condition it does not persist through very life-threatening situations mm-hmm. you can't like fascinate someone wheel up a cannon and load it and point it at them they're gonna be like hey wait (laughs) (laughs) i shouldn't be here (laughs) Now other people can help you break the Fascinated Condition, if an ally is next to you, they can spend a standard action shaking you and like slapping you in the face, you know, typical stuff to break the Fascinated Condition.
1: Now here's something that we've said a couple times before, and we've kind of described it, but it's an actual condition, and this is flat-footed. This is what we've described to happen at the beginning of combat, before you make any move actions, you start automatically flat-footed, and then there's other things here that make you flat foot, other spells and stuff that can make you flat-footed. But essentially here you lose all your dex bonus to your AC if you have any, you can't take attacks of opportunity now this is actually very important when it comes into strategically moving around the battlefield in the first round of combat you can position yourselves you can without worrying about i'm moving past three guys i'm gonna take three attacks of opportunity no if you have a better initiative which makes initiative so important you can really arrange the battlefield in that first round of combat
0: this is why initiative is so important to rogues they can't enemies They can be sneak attacked, they also can't take attacks of opportunity, so you can run right behind people and get into flanking positions very easily if they're not Mm -hmm. taking attacks of opportunity on you. Right.
1: This is another chain similar to the Fatigued and Exhausted, and this is a fear chain. So the first in it is the condition called Shaken. We take a minus two penalty on attack rolls and saving throws, skill checks, and ability checks. Pretty much everything. So just like, what is, just what not, am I doing? Take a minus two.
0: Yeah. Essentially just not damage rolls or AC. Right. Now, shaken is usually come across from spells that inflict fear or someone makes an intimidate check against you. You will become shaken typically from these things.
1: Not stirred. That's a different condition. Yes. Mm-hmm.
0: <laughs> so now if I'm shaken and then I get
1: shaken again just like if i got fatigued and i get fatigued again i become exhausted here you become frightened what is frightened
0: frightened is the same as shaken it has the same penalties and that you take a minus two penalty on all your stuff except now you have to try your best to flee you're really afraid of this thing but you still have your head about you Mm -hmm. so you can flee in a smart way you can cast a spell you can use your abilities you don't have to necessarily run away in a straight line putting yourself into more danger you can you just have to run away as best as you can you just you grab your stuff and you haul ass you get dimension door out out of there you yeah. can do any sort of those things
1: now this is actually very interesting this is the cornered cat thing if you run away and you're stuck in a corner he's still coming at you and you can no longer physically run away you can attack the thing that's stopping you from fleeing now this one actually has one more the next step is panicked tell me so, about panicked
0: so if you're frightened and you get shaken again you get shaken three times you are now panicked <laughs> you're very well mixed yeah, yeah. <laughs> it's just like frightened in that you take you still take the penalties And you have to flee. But now you've lost your mind about how scared you are about this thing. Not only do you have to flee, but you have to just run. You have to run in whatever direction you might think is safe. And you also drop anything you're holding. And this way, if you
1: get cornered and
0: you can't flee
1: anymore instead of attacking, you just cower and you get the cowering condition. And you typically use the total defense action in combat.
0: Now note, you only have to run until you are... Perceivably away from whatever is causing your fear. You just have to essentially leave its line of sight or, you know, get somewhere you think is safe, in which case you're just cowering until the effect is over.
1: The next one is incorporal. Is it is it incorporal or incorporeal? I think we both need hooks on phonics on this one. I'm yeah. not sure. <laughs> I, I go back and forth
0: usually. I'm not... A, ghost. Ooh, yeah. you're a ghost! Once you become spooky... Ooh, <laughs> spooky, scary skeletons. <laughs> Once you're a kookity-spookity ghost, you have to go... <laughs> You had to float through walls and scare people and say boo.
1: Yes, that's it. Okay, next condition. No, 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 no.
0: Then they get shaken, and then they get frightened, and then they get panicked, and then yeah. there are spooky ghosts, and the chain continues. Yes, forever.
1: <laughs> um... Actually, it's just that you don't have a physical body, so you get some special things. You're immune to all non-magical attack forms, so arrows and things go right through you, and you're like, come at me, bro. Oh, is that a sword? Okay, cool. You take half damage from magic weapons, spells, spell-like effects, and supernatural effects. But you do take full damage from other incorporeal creatures in effects.
0: Oh. Also, any force effect, like magic missile, can hit you for full damage. Right. Also, there's specifically the ghost touch weapon property. If someone has a weapon with the ghost touch property, then they can hit you as if you are just a normal creature.
1: Now, let's talk about our next one, Invisible. This is something that rogues like to use, ninjas and stuff, so they can get their sneak attacks in. What's
0: it all about? When you're invisible, you're essentially undetectable. You get a huge bonus to your stealth checks. A plus 20 if you're moving. If you're standing still, a plus 40. If you are invisible, or if a creature is invisible, if they go to attack somebody, you get a plus 2 bonus on your attack rolls against people who rely on sight. Any attacks also ignore your
1: opponent's dex bonus to AC. Essentially, you're catching them all flat-footed.
0: If someone goes to attack an invisible creature that they can't clearly perceive, like you don't have C invisibility or something like that, they're treated as having total concealment and you have a 50% chance to just outright miss them. And you actually have to make a perception check just to find them before
1: you can even attempt to
0: hit. Right. Like, if you lo- make the perception check and you locate what square they're in, you still can't see them, so you have a 50% chance just to miss. Or if you swing wildly in a square because someone just stabbed you in the kidney and you're like, I think he's in that square, you can do that. You if, can I'm save. Inv- if I'm invisible, does that mean I'm incorporeal? No. They, you are still a corporeal creature. Creature. you're like physical and have a body people just can't see you okay
1: there's a lot of extra rules that come with being invisible some things that you can do or can't do or things can be done to you or that you can't do to other people and there's like a little chart and there's a whole little description you can look at on paizo's online resources you can cover that up or in the core book
0: just don't get too picky with it. I mean, yeah. What we've covered so far is really the important stuff. If you get into those really niche categories, like, what if I want to make a touch attack and I look in a mirror and uh, I look at my shadow and see if it's blocked and glittered, you know. <laughs> the next condition is nauseated. You I are... get
1: this condition every time I look at Christian. Stop looking at me. Like <laughs> I told you. Well, Why don't we wear the mask I bought you? <laughs> it's uncomfortable and I don't want to look like a horse. Well, it's uncomfortable <laughs> to look at you. Yeah. Well, and everyone I... Have you not seen the internet? Everybody loves that horse mask.
0: No. Not me. No. (laughs) I'm not a horse. I'm a person. I'm a real boy.
1: But we can make you a centaur. Don't you want to be a centaur?
0: That's a reverse centaur. (laughs) I don't want to have a horse set in a human body. (laughs) Yes, you do. (laughs) I miss all the cool parts of being a horse. (laughs) All I got is a stupid apple-eating mouth. (laughs) And a, and a pretty mane. I want to run free across the prairies and.
1: I I think you're you're underrating the pretty mane. That's all I'm saying. <laughs> but let's
0: talk about. It. I already have a beautiful mane. Let's talk. <laughs> <laughs> you do have luscious locks,
1: but let's talk about the condition
0: I'm nauseated. Uh, you're experiencing stomach distress. You you kind of like keel over a bit and hold your stomach. What? Wait, and,
1: make- and, and you have to make this noise. Ooh. <laughs> uh, yeah, yeah, you have to. Ooh. <laughs> when you get it, it's part of the rules. I, listen, I didn't make it up. It's the rules Rules written.
0: A nauseated creature cannot attack or cast spells or concentrate on spells or do anything else requiring their attention. All they can do is take a single move action every turn. Paralyzed. What about this? This doesn't sound good at all. A creature that's paralyzed is completely frozen where they stand and they can't move or act. Although they can still think, it's typically like your body cannot move, though your mind is still active. Decks and strength
1: scores go down to zero and you be you get the helpless condition. If you're flying, obviously, you fall. You, if you're swimming, you can't swim and you might drown. And if you are paralyzed if your opponent is paralyzed, you treat them as an allied creature where you can move into their space.
0: Though it does count as difficult terrain, so it's two squares to move out of that square.
1: Now it's about our next condition? Petrified, kind of similar to paralyzed.
0: This is is kind of paralyzed but
1: you've been turned completely to stone no more mental actions you're actually considered unconscious if a petrified character cracks or breaks but the broken pieces are joined with the body as he returns to flesh he is unharmed however if you don't do that the body um when you become unpetrified you're missing that so did i break off his arm well you're now missing i got your arm. nose <laughs> This isn't funny! <laughs> and this is an interesting thing where I i don't think there's any rules for it. It's completely up to GM discretion, but you lose max hit points. So if you lose an arm, he might take off five max hit points for you forever.
0: Yeah, so don't be a jerk. Don't mess with your friends when they're, you know, made if of stone. You, if you
1: carve out his eyes, you come out without eyes and you're blinded for the rest of the game. Just have a wizard who has a flesh to stone spell. Trust me, there's more than enough things and reasons why you're going to need that. Biozo is very mean <laughs> uh, sto- when it comes to stone petrification. To flesh. Stone to flesh. Yes. They're very mean when it comes to
0: petrification. They're, they're beasts. There's they're some pretty tough ones out there. It's just annoying because the only thing that gets rid of flesh to stone is stone to flesh or, like, mm-hmm. a wish spell. There's even some,
1: like, low CR creatures. The basilisk isn't very high CR. But if you look at it, <laughs> you're stone.
0: And you got to get that level, what, five wizard spell yeah. to get yourself back.
1: That's tough. Maybe a whole new... Uh, Advice for GMs. If you ever put this into your campaign, somebody turns somebody to stone, be prepared for an entire side quest about bringing that person to a wizard to fix them. Yeah. The one good thing is for basilisks, their blood can... I shouldn't tell the players they shouldn't know this, but you can use their blood to... Just lather them with it? If you lather them with blood, uh, (laughs) it's a certain amount of blood, like a gallon of blood per creature or something like that. I'm
0: sorry. I know this is gross, and I'm trying to help. (laughs) It fixes them. So that's kind of a cool thing about that. But usually you have to make a knowledge check for that. All right. Our next condition is prone. Prone is you got knocked down. You're on the ground laying down, you either got tripped or you got tackled, you slipped on some grease, you're laying on the ground now. The associated penalties are you take a minus four to your AC against melee attacks, but you have a plus four AC against range attacks. It's harder to hit someone laying down with a, like, gun, a bow or a gun or something, just because there's less of them to hit.
1: You also take a minus four penalty on all your melee attack rolls, and unless you have a crossbow, you can't make a ranged a shot. It makes sense, you can't, like, pull back the string on your bow when you're laying down. It'd be a little difficult. I guess right. you're like, you gangster style, sideway turn your gun, sideway turn your bow, I got this.
0: <laughs> I was about to say, I think I think guns can also be used while well prone, or at least like Definitely. a pistol. Really I, I see no reason why you wouldn't be able to. You'd probably have trouble reloading it, but if it's already loaded, I don't see any reason why you can't go boom.
1: Right, exactly, you're right. Um, now, while you're prone, you're actually limited to some move actions. You can actually only crawl five feet as your move action instead of your normal speed.
0: And that provokes an attack of opportunity. Yeah, it does. Because you look like a little biatch. <laughs> I'll slap you for it. <laughs> Now, you can stand up from being prone, obviously. This is a move action, and it provokes an attack of opportunity, which yes. is a really big point about tripping. You trip someone, and if they want to stand up, they're going to have to provoke. Basically, right. you get a free attack on them.
1: I have a lot of ranged characters who make that mistake. First timers, they get up. I'm like, hey, listen, you don't have to get up. I understand you have that more minus four to AC, but you can shoot them laying down.
0: Also, this can be done by choice. If you're getting hit by range attacks, you can just choose as a free action to drop on the ground and make yourself prone. Now let talk about staggered. What's staggered like? A few things can stagger you. Usually it's a very concussive blow, but just for an example... Or a
1: spell. I know some definitely there's some spells that will stagger somebody.
0: Right. Um. For example, a zombie is always staggered. That There's something that is commonly seen with the staggered condition. They just always have it. What staggered means is that you can only take a single move or a single standard action on your turn. You can't take full round actions and you can't take one of each. You only get one or the other. You can still make free and swift and immediate actions though. Right. This The big one is that you 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 cannot take full round actions, meaning this is very detrimental once you get iterative attacks.
1: We mentioned this in the main episode, but staggered is equal to the condition of disabled except for non-lethal damage. When you reach uh, your max HP and non-lethal damage, you're staggered. I want to go over very quickly a couple of circumstance and combat uh, bonuses and things that can affect you depending on some actions you took. In the main episode, we went over them in length. Let's just real quick fire off what it is and then what it gives you so that if they if you players you want to reference it you don't have to listen to the whole episode again charging You get double your move speed, a plus 2 to hit, and a minus 2 to AC.
0: Concealment attacks against you have a 20% chance to miss.
1: Total concealment is a 50% miss chance.
0: Cover, you get plus 4 to your AC and plus 2 to your reflex saves. Improved cover is just double, plus 8 to your
1: AC and plus 4 to reflex saves.
0: Partial cover is half, plus 2 to your AC and plus 1 to your reflex save.
1: Soft cover, plus 4 to your AC.
0: When you fight defensively, you take a minus 4 on your attack rolls and you get a plus 2 on your AC. When you're flanking, you get plus two to your melee attack rolls. If you're on higher ground, you get a plus one to melee attack rolls. If you're running, you move four times your move speed, but you lose your dexterity bonus to AC. If you're squeezing, you get minus four to hit and minus four to AC. If you take a total defense action, you get plus four to your AC, plus six if you happen to have three ranks in acrobatics. And the final one, if you're withdrawing, you get to move double your move speed. Without provoking attack of opportunity from the square you're starting. So that's the end
1: of all the extra credit. I know there's a lot in here, but, you know, combat's a big part of this game. A lot of times now, I know, like, when I have combat, like, that's my whole session for that week. If there's combat, that's my next three hours, So that's why it's heavy loaded. All right. Thanks for staying after class and class is dismissed. Pathfinder Academy is part of the Trailblazer Network. Visit our site for other great Pathfinder podcasts. I've been Nicholas Laborde. Thanks for listening.